The Consequences of Being Human Holy Week Talks by John Bell for Derby Cathedral, Easter 2020 Read by Elizabeth Thompson Tuesday Troubled by Religion On each of the three weekdays which precede Monday, Thursday and Good Friday, I am reflecting on a feature of Jesus' life evident in his three-year ministry, and notable in the last days before the cross. My intention is not to detract from the singularity of Jesus' passion and death, but rather to see that as the inevitable conclusion to a life and ministry which had been controversial and threatening, particularly to those who held power and authority in civil and religious life. Yesterday we considered how Jesus was touched by pain. His well-attested healing ministry was a blessing to many, but an annoyance to people who would have perceived that his style of healing, the occasions on which it happened, and the people who benefited from this ministry, did not accord with traditional expectations. In this connection, on the Monday of Holy Week, we recalled Jesus' compassion when he healed the lame, the crippled and the blind in religious precincts to the great chagrin of the priests. Now it is Tuesday. The large crowd was listening to him with delight. As he taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, and to have the best seats in the synagogues, and places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses, and for the sake of appearance, say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury, and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had all she had to live on. The Gospel according to Mark, chapter 12, from verse 37. We cannot be certain that this passage from Mark's Gospel pertains to incidents which happened during Holy Week. But each of the Gospel writers have ensured that between Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and his betrayal, on Monday, Thursday, there are conversations, disputes, arguments recorded, as Jesus is confronted with the hostility of various factions in the religious establishment. Indeed, if we look at the structure of chapter 12 in Mark's Gospel, we see three different groups of religious dignitaries questioning him. First, there are the Pharisees, then come the Sadducees, and finally the scribes. The first group, the Pharisees, 
He rebuffs so effectively that Mark notes his reply left them completely taken aback. The second group, the Sadducees, find that he deftly dismantles their hypothetical conjecture regarding who will marry whom in heaven. But because his third questioner, a scribe, shows a fond affection for scripture, Jesus offered him a word of encouragement. At the end of these interrogation sessions, Mark notes that nobody dared put any questions to him. Jesus then speaks with the crowds, berates the hypocrisy of his religious critics, and honours the generosity of a poor widow, who, as compared to her financial superiors, clearly knew what sacrificial giving meant. Any global religion has three strands to it. The local community, the denomination, and the faith. The local community in the Christian faith could be a church, a chapel, a meeting hall, or a room in a house. It is where the faith is expressed in a communal setting for the mutual support and encouragement of believers. The denomination has an organisational structure, more or less hierarchical, which deliberates on doctrine, discipline, church life and practice. Hence, in Christianity, we have Roman Catholics, Quakers, Greek Orthodox, Primitive Baptists, each with a different culture and organisational structure. The faith is the understanding of what people believe about the nature and purpose of God and how that affects the way they express their belief and practice their faith. Each of these has its own idiosyncrasies, advocates and critics, and sources of blessing and frustration. The local church community usually meets in a physical building, pride in which can sometimes be all-consuming, and the congregation may have a strong sense of its identity, so much so that the word change is regarded as anathema. And most of us will know of disputes in congregations, when alterations to the fabric were proposed, the use of instruments other than the organ was suggested, or a merger with another church was on the cards. Sometimes I ask people in a congregation to indicate the number of changes that have happened in the last 50 years. Inevitably, a cynic will say, oh, this will not take long. But then we begin to enumerate them. Everything from the inclusion of women in leadership to the abolition of pew rents, or, in the case of Reformed Christians, the celebration of seasons like Advent. Once I have them all written up, I ask which of these changes came into applause and loud hallelujahs. Usually none of them. I then ask which of the changes they would like to reverse. And often, it is, again, none of them. Local churches can be frustrating especially those who label themselves Protestant, they have a genetic need to protest. Denominations can be equally querulous. Most of them result from schisms within a previous denomination. Thus the Methodists and the Salvation Army devolved from the Church of England. 
the Free Church and the Reformed Presbyterians devolved from the Church of Scotland. Both of these mother churches were formed at the Reformation because of schisms within the Roman Catholic Church. Different denominations may have their own practices regarding, for example, who may be a leader, how often the Holy Communion is celebrated, whether baptism is by total immersion of adults or sprinkling water on children, whether one has to testify to an experience of being born again, whether divorced persons can be married in church premises. And the denominations may also favour particular theological emphasis, the priesthood of all believers for Quaker and Reformed Christians, the role of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the seven sacraments for Roman Catholics, the gift of glossolalia, speaking in tongues, for charismatic churches. And then there is the faith, which in Christian communities finds its source in the Holy Scriptures, the tradition of the church, and the reasoned conviction of believers. Theology is the word which we use to codify what we believe about God and the purposes of God. In the main, theology derives from a reading of the Bible. But though all Christians and all denominations have access to the same source book, this does not mean that unanimity of belief abounds. And every era in the history of the Christian Church has witnessed theological disagreements based on different readings of Scripture. The history of many denominations in the USA provides interesting reading regarding their attitude to slavery. Indeed, several denominations split in two, with one side claiming that the Bible endorsed slavery as a God-given practice, and the other saying it was antithetical to a faith which proclaimed the equality of all, made in God's image. Similar doctrinal battles occurred in South Africa, when black and coloured theologians dared to question the belief of the Dutch Reformed Church that, based on texts in Genesis, apartheid was consonant with biblical teaching. This sometimes unholy trinity, the local church, the denominational culture and the faith, these three things have bound people to each other and also created hostility among believers. Since in the early days of the faith, Peter had to decide whether or not to accept a Roman centurion as a committed believer in Acts chapter 10. When one looks at the history of the Christian era, there is much to celebrate as well as bemoan. We celebrate that Christianity brought peacemaking to Scotland under Columba, but we bemoan that it brought hostility to Jews and Muslims in Spain at the time of the Inquisition. We celebrate that Christianity enabled the de development of literacy all over the world. But we bemoan that often riding alongside the imperial ambitions of European nations, it endorsed the slaughter of countless natives in South America. We celebrate that the Christian gospel declares God's free grace for all. But we bemoan that many people have been made to understand that grace comes with conditions. And we are aware 
that whether it be the local church, or the preferred denomination, or the dominant theology, people in positions of responsibility in all of these three spheres have sometimes given in to their basest desires and misused the power entrusted to them to hurt, humiliate, and even demonize others, or to manipulate the system for their personal gain. Jesus never entrusted to his followers either the promise or the model of the perfect church, but rather he bore the pain of religious intolerance. We saw that yesterday when we noted the consternation Jesus caused by healing in religious precincts on the Sabbath. But let's look at more evidence of the consternation he caused. Here are a few examples. Jesus went into the synagogue in Nazareth and read from Isaiah's prophecy about the Spirit of God giving sight to the blind and proclaiming good news to the poor. Then he sat down and said, Today in your hearing, this text has come true. There was general approval. The congregation was so impressed by his eloquence that people asked, Is this really Joseph's son? But after he had talked about how a prophet is never accepted, in his own country, they rose up, dragged Jesus out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which it was built, meaning to hurl him over the edge. Luke chapter 4, from verse 14, abbreviated. Jesus said, No slave can serve two masters, for either he will hate the first and love the second, or he will be devoted to the first and hate the second. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and scoffed at him. Luke chapter 16 While Jesus was teaching in the temple, the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. They asked if he would have her stoned, as Moses had required in the law. Jesus invited the one who was guiltless to throw the first stone. They went away, one by one, the eldest first. John chapter 8 For Jesus, the local place of worship, the local community, is important. He teaches, preaches and heals in local synagogues. And he teaches in the temple, the cathedral of Judaism, though in many instances not to the, to the delight of the listeners. The experience in his home synagogue should have been enough to put him off. People admire his voice. They probably say to each other that he looks like his mother. But the eloquence with which he speaks makes them wonder if he is Joseph's son. And when they hear what he has to say, they are so outraged by it that they, his fellow Nazarenes, make the first direct assassination attempt on his life. But this doesn't put him off, neither this occasion nor the clashes he has with synagogue officials who object to him healing on the Sabbath. His purpose, even in the local congregation, 
is to introduce people to the bigger God, who has been eclipsed by the yoke of restrictive and sometimes punitive religion. In the instance of the fracas in his home synagogue, Jesus did not spout heresy from the pulpit. If we recall the incident, it begins with people admiring his eloquence in reading from Isaiah's prophecy. They then become slightly uneasy when he alludes to how the congregation, aware of his healing ministry in another region of Galilee, anticipate that he might show his skill in his hometown. But they become outraged when, using two instances in recorded history, he shows that God does not always choose to favour those who think they are the chosen people. Jesus is not only opening people's eyes to a God who is not a tribal deity, a patron saint of their faith, but to God whose grace extends to all people. More than this, and equally offensive, Jesus suggests that the purposes of God are not simply enshrined in a sacred text, but revealed in his person. He is challenging the assumption that God is the object of speculation by declaring that God is best known through a personal relationship, which he, Jesus the local boy, can initiate. Theologians love speculations, but God favours relationship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer realised this transition when he indicated that the religious question is not, what is God like? But, who is this man, Jesus? Decades later, this was echoed by the Brazilian liberation theologian, Leonardo Boff. To really comprehend who Jesus is, one must approach him as one touched by and attached to him. And there is an echo of it in the poem Agnus Dei, the last section of R.S. Thomas's Mass for Hard Times. No longer the lamb, but the idea of it. Can an idea bleed? On what altar does one sacrifice an idea? It gave its life for the world? No, it is we who give our life for the idea that nourishes us itself on the dust of our veins. Jesus does not avoid the local community, even if it might prove hostile. But it is the denomination, the religious culture, which is more of a battle for him. He has to deal with an inflexible system of Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and priests and high priests and elders. His difficulty with them is not primarily that they disagree with him. It is that he is a threat to their power. The priests have the power to ban people from the temple. The Sadducees dispute anything, such as the resurrection, which is not contained in the law. The Pharisees police public and private behaviour and have no compunction in telling people that they are sinful. The Sadducees held positions of authority in justice and education, and their word was law because they studied the law. These four groups did not always get on well with each other, 
and they tended to stay aloof from the majority of the population and could make life miserable for them by levying taxes which people could not pay or condemning women for alleged immoral behaviour knowing that women could not defend themselves in court. Wherever people interact with each other, power is part of the equation. And wherever holding power is coated with a religious veneer, those who wield power can have a carte blanche hold over believers. The incidence of clerical sex abuse bears eloquent witness to this. But woe betide anyone who confronts such religious megalomaniacs, or dares to call them hypocrites. And yet Jesus does. He berates the Pharisees all through the Gospels for their cruelty to the poor, their twisted interpretation of God's will, and their hypocrisy in expecting in other people a level of adherence to laws they themselves never attained. The encounter Jesus has with the Pharisees in conjunction with him healing a man born blind is particularly noteworthy. John chapter 9. The Pharisees have no compassion for this man. They are unwilling to believe how he has been healed and they vigorously protest that his blindness was brought out by his personal iniquity or the sin of his parents. And Jesus in one of his most forensic responses to them, suggests that it is not the man born blind who cannot see, but those who claim to see and know everything are the ones who are interminably myopic. Just as with his home congregation, he is challenging their understanding of God and God's word. He is allowing theology to determine behaviour, rather than have conventional respectability be rooted in a selective use of scripture. God's purpose is not to ensnare fallible people in petty and sadistic legalism, monitored by imperious religious lieutenants. God wills a liberation from humanly designed fatuous religious restraints. God will not condemn a defenceless woman whom men accuse of adultery in the absence of any proof, or a male co-accused. God will not belittle the offering of two copper coins by a poor widow. God will regard that as an act of generosity far surpassing what her wealthy detractors would ever make. God will not be enshrined in watertight theologies, designed and policed by a religious elite. God will be known best by those who do God's will. Why do you want to kill me? Jesus asks. No wonder they wanted to kill him. 